welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. Welcome back from the bowels of the caseless week. It's good to be back. So, as longtime listeners may know, my mother is an avid listener of the pod. She's also a patron, just saying. She has no background in law or immigration whatsoever, but after 184 episodes, she can talk the talk. She even knows what Chevron deference is, which is a bit tragic in this Chevron's swan song of a year. But I digress. Now retired, she was previously a labor and delivery nurse for over three decades. And she was not pleased by the First Circuit's and all tribunals' rationale in MSC v. Garland from two weeks ago. The case about credibility, opposition to family planning in China, and the lead petitioner's alleged non-credible failure to tell her U.S. doctors about her forced abortion in China. So, from my mom's text message to me to your ears, quote, There were many times as a labor nurse that patients would not admit to their nurse or even doctor that they had had an abortion. Embarrassment, guilt, suppressing memories, or who knows whatever reason. But it happened all the time. I even had one patient insist that it was her first pregnancy when it was actually her third because she didn't want her current guy to know. That one became a lawsuit when she delivered much faster than we expected, and there were complications. First pregnancies go very different than third ones, end quote. For what it's worth. As to this week, we have two cases, as we continue to push through what seems to be a relatively slow holiday season. I'll breeze through the first one a bit before diving deep into the second. Our first case is Juarez Vicente v. Garland, published by the 8th Circuit on November 7th, 2023. Mr. Juarez Vicente is from Guatemala. He testified in immigration court that he is bisexual, was sexually assaulted throughout his childhood, and was ridiculed and harassed with homophobic slurs. 
He ended up leaving university and quitting his job because of the harassment, but he testified that, as an adult at least, he was never physically harmed. His friend was murdered, however, under circumstances not discussed in the case, and Mr. Juarez Vicente came to the United States, where he applied for asylum and related relief and protection. As framed by the Eighth Circuit, quote, Mr. Juarez Vicente argues that repeated sexual harassment by classmates and co-workers over more than 10 years cumulatively is past persecution. But persecution is an extreme concept that involves severe suffering or harm, such as the infliction or threat of death, torture, or injury to one's person or freedom on account of a protected characteristic, end quote. That persecution standard was not met here to the court, quote, Low-level intimidation and harassment does not rise to the level of persecution, end quote. So, high-level intimidation and harassment might? You're saying we have a chance? Eighth Circuit? And indeed, in the Eighth Circuit, it is the law that IJs must consider the effect of, quote, low-level intimidation and harassment, end quote, and consider, quote, claims of non-physical harm and its cumulative effect, end quote, in the persecution analysis. Who knew? Still not met here, though. The Eighth Circuit just didn't think that Mr. Juarez Vicente experienced harm that was severe enough to be past persecution. As to whether he had a well-founded fear of future persecution, the Eighth Circuit saw that burden unmet as well. For example, quote, There is no record evidence that gay men are regularly killed in Guatemala, such that there is a pattern or practice of it, end quote. And to the extent that Mr. Juarez Vicente fears non-governmental actors who target gay and bisexual men in Guatemala, well, the Guatemalan government appears to at least be trying to protect people like Mr. Juarez Vicente, at least as explained in this very short decision. Or, as the Eighth Circuit put it, he, quote, has not shown that the Guatemalan government is unwilling or unable to protect him, end quote, a necessary showing when the fear of persecution is from entities that are not a country's government meaning that Mr. Juarez Vicente lost his case. And that is Juarez Vicente v. Garland. Concluding then with a deep dive into Varela Chavarria v. Garland, published by the First Circuit on November 9th, 2023. This case is about persecution and other things. Miss Varela Chavarria came to the United States 10 years ago at 19 years old without authorization from El Salvador. She was placed in removal proceedings and applied for asylum and related relief and protection. Doing so pro se and certainly not in her first language, it appears that she was having difficulty completing the Form I-589 application and articulating why her situation fit into the narrow legal framework of U.S. asylum law. The immigration judge provided her time to amend her application, but it didn't seem to help that much. That I-589 is complicated and quite consequential, and it appears that Ms. Varela Chavarria never really specified the legal basis for her claim. She did, however, provide an affidavit where she explained how, as a teenager, gangs had forced her family to pay a regular tax at threat of death. Namely, the gangs were targeting her brother Tomasa and threatening to kill the family if he didn't pay, which included Miss Varela Chavarria, of course, and by 14 years old, they were pressuring her to make Tomasa pay. On the way to school, for example, gangs regularly accosted and surrounded Miss Varela Chavarria and threatened to sexually assault and rape her if Tomasa or her mother didn't pay the gang, 
or if another brother didn't join the gang himself. Sometimes as many as six gang members would surround Miss Varela Chavarria and make these threats. It continued for years, until she left for the United States at 19 years old. Back to immigration court. Ms. Varela Chavarria eventually got an attorney who represented her at the merits hearing. And at that merits hearing, her, quote, testimony added further color to her affidavit, end quote. Love the adjective of color. Let's see if it's code for adverse credibility, shall we? But right, it would be a bit insane if detailed oral testimony at a merits hearing didn't somewhat add, amend, or contextualize a written affidavit, especially a pro se one, right? Am I insane? Don't answer that. At the merits hearing, Ms. Varela Chavarria explained that her brother Tomasa was in charge of a bakery, which is one of the reasons that he was getting extorted. She reiterated the constant threats of rape and sexual abuse that she suffered, and explained how Tomasa was beaten up by the gangs. And IJ denied Ms. Varela Chavarria's application. Not on credibility, though, but on a finding that the harm that she experienced wasn't severe enough to be past persecution, and that in any event, it wasn't on account of a protected ground like, say, a political opinion or membership in a particular social group. The BIA affirmed. Of course it did, or we wouldn't be here. But I am far too pedantic to ever skip that procedural history. Quote, Relying on our case law establishing that threats alone rarely constitute persecution, the BIA agreed with the IJ that Ms. Varela Chavarria did not relate any harm arising to the level of past persecution. End quote. As to the nexus stuff, the reason that she was threatened, Ms. Varela Chavarria argued on appeal that the IJ erred in failing to consider whether the harm that she suffered was on account of her membership in the particular social group of immediate family members of Tomasa and or women. But the BIA declined to consider either of those particular social groups, because Ms. Varela Chavarria hadn't identified them when she filed her pro se asylum application, and I guess counsel didn't clean it up when counsel came in for the merits hearing. And so what the BIA saw was simple extortion, and the U.S. doesn't protect against such things. The First Circuit affirmed the BIA. It first rejected Ms. Varela Chavarria's argument that the agency had violated her constitutional due process rights when the IJ rejected her asylum claim because she hadn't claimed to actually be a member of any particular social group, and when the BIA affirmed that finding. And Ms. Varela Chavarria has constitutional due process rights in immigration court. Don't forget it. To the First Circuit, Ms. Varela Chavarria, quote, argues that the IJ's failure to help her clearly delineate these particular social groups during her hearing violated her right to due process under the Fifth Amendment, end quote. That argument definitely has legs in the Fourth Circuit at a minimum, and at least with pro se non-citizens. The problem for Ms. Varela Chavarria, explained the court, was that she hadn't made that argument before the BIA. So it was unexhausted. So the First Circuit won't hear it. Now true, the First Circuit will review unexhausted claims if, quote, the BIA does not have the power to address the matter, end quote. And true, quote, the BIA is without jurisdiction to adjudicate purely constitutional issues, end quote, unlike, say, federal judges. But the BIA does have the power to adjudicate procedural errors in removal proceedings. It could have addressed this argument if brought, explained the First Circuit. Well, what about the Supreme Court's Santos-Zacharia v. Garland decision? I know you're all wondering. 
Don't worry, the First Circuit got to it in a footnote, noting that exhaustion is no longer jurisdictional. Which means the First Circuit can excuse this failure to exhaust if they wanted to. And if the arguments are made as to why excusal of exhaustion is warranted. Unfortunately, as we're in footnote land, there was no further discussion of when such excusing is proper in the First Circuit. Stay tuned, though. So we will have to wait another day until the First Circuit explains just precisely what protections an immigration judge must provide asylum seekers who fail to sufficiently delineate particular social groups. On to the merits of the case, then, which is going to be quite difficult without a particular social group delineated. Nevertheless, the First Circuit analyzed whether the harm Ms. Varela Chavarria experienced rose to the level of past persecution, and held that it did not. But hey, in a circuit trend that I do not hate and keep noting, including kind of in that Eighth Circuit decision I just discussed, the past persecution analysis to the First Circuit requires that, quote, the sum of a petitioner's experiences must add up to more than ordinary harassment, mistreatment, or suffering, end quote. Sounds like a cumulative harm analysis for past persecution, just like is applied in Convention Against Torture cases with torture, and it's error if the agency fails to apply a cumulative analysis to past persecution harm. Just saying. Not only that, when deciding whether harm rises to the level of past persecution, quote, age can be a critical factor, end quote. Another trend throughout the circuits that I don't hate, and that we should all remember to argue. To be exceptionally clear, as I try to be, and poaching from the 7th and 9th circuits, which is always welcome in such circumstances, the 1st circuit explains that where relevant, quote, the fact finder must look at the events from the child's perspective and measure the degree of her injuries by their impact on a child of her age, end quote. That is a strong quote, and it is now the law of the 1st circuit. Don't let these decisions that are ultimately adverse for non-citizens fool you. Ms. Varela Chavarria just didn't meet that standard here, said the First Circuit. That is the case, even though she was 14 years old when the threats began, and even though neither the IJ nor the BIA conducted the proper analysis, making it, quote, infected by legal error, end quote. What a quote to use in appellate briefs, though. The problem is, said the First Circuit, the same problem as before. Regardless of what happened to her in the past, Ms. Varela Chavarria failed to connect any childhood harm, even if past persecution and severity, to a protected ground, like a political opinion or a particular social group. That nexus comes back to wreck the case. Particularly problematic here, because under the 2018 decision matter of WYC and HOB, particular social groups unasserted before the IJ are waived later on. The First Circuit cites the WYC here favorably. I must note, though, that although the First Circuit held that it wasn't a due process violation in this case for the IJ to fail to parse out the particular social groups, the First Circuit also somewhat confusingly reminds everyone in a footnote that, quote, it is an IJ's statutory duty to assist in developing a sufficient record at the merits hearing to permit meaningful review on appeal, including by clarifying the record on the delineation of a particular social group. This statutory duty should be fulfilled in every case, regardless of whether the petitioner is pro se, end quote. Quite frankly, that's a pretty strong quote. And didn't the IJ fail to do that here? 
Seems that the First Circuit would be willing to rule in Ms. Varela Chavarria's due process favor if only she had brought this issue, this due process issue, before the BIA first. Waiver and exhaustion are all over the place in this decision. All of it means that Ms. Varela Chavarria lost her case on largely appellate procedural grounds. Surely a bit more difficult for Ms. Varela Chavarria and her counsel to swallow, given what the First Circuit also held. Although Ms. Varela Chavarria lost her case, this is actually a pretty favorable decision for non-citizens. Yes, the First Circuit didn't really expressly adopt the protections afforded to pro se asylum seekers that is percolating in some of the circuits. But also, the procedural posture of this case was a bit weird. We'll see what happens next time around, particularly given that footnote that I just discussed. Far more important for other non-citizens, though, is the stuff about past persecution and children, because the First Circuit notes that, quote, The record is more than sufficient to conclude that Ms. Varela Chavarria's experiences amounted to persecution. We have no doubt that a young teenager faced with relentless rape threats, and with them, the specter of forced pregnancy, would experience these threats as something more than ordinary harassment, end quote. And, quote, because the gang members followed her to and from school, Ms. Varela Chavarria could not escape these threats without giving up her education. And the fear of these threats generated in Ms. Varela Chavarria eventually led her to separate from her family and flee her country. Under these circumstances, we struggle to imagine how Ms. Varela Chavarria's mistreatment could be classified as anything other than persecution. End quote. That is all powerful stuff when it comes to the persecution analysis and children provided you can connect it to race, religion, nationality, a political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. The ever-pesky nexus requirement. And that is Varela Chavarria v. Garland. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official immigration review CLE certificate, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all, and follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at Immigration Review, or send us a tweet at ImReview, that's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.